Well, that was a, a long gospel reading this morning. Um, and, you know, I love actually looking down at our, our liturgy because uh, the name of the person who reads the gospel is called the gospeler. You notice that in your program? It's like the equivalent to a cricket pitcher or a baseball pitcher, the gospeler. They just kind of roll it out to us and we take it in. And so uh, I'm grateful that our church reads the scripture publicly and they kind of pitch it to us like the sower. So we've been in a series on encounters with Jesus, and we've been in the Gospel of John, because John is particularly good in this fourth gospel at showing us these uh, really individual encounters that Jesus takes the time to have with people. And today we'll look closely at a small section of that story in, um, between Martha and Jesus, that encounter. So if you have your program, just at some point get to uh, page four in the second paragraph. But so far, we've looked at Jesus as host, Jesus as guest, Jesus as teacher, as traveler, as healer, as bread, as light, as shepherd. And now, as Lisa said, today we look at Jesus as life. More specifically, of course, in this passage, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So... I think to be human, uh, to really be any of God's creation, is to seek life. That is our automatic move. Uh, it's why those little weeds fight up between blocks of cement and, and bricks to find the sun, to find life. It is largely why we get up in the morning. Those who cannot get up in the morning, we call clinically depressed. They no longer can even see what life has to offer. But most of us automatically seek life. And I suppose, I suppose all of us carry within us some notion of the good life, or maybe several notions of the good life. Um, it could be a hammock on the beach with a cold drink is our idea of the good life. It could be sleeping in. It could be a walk in the woods. It could be a lively family dinner. Could be an exhilarating run downhill on a mountain bike. Lewis, C.S. Lewis somewhere says, if you could run like a horse or a cheetah, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so there's many forms of life or visions of life that move us, and we usually know what it is when we experience it, and we say, ah, the good life. This is the good life. And I think all of those are rightfully life-giving, and of course, many more experiences but the question today is, what is Jesus referring to when he says he is the life and the resurrection? Well, we can only look at this in part. But, of course, this is one of the foundational moments in the Scriptures. When you want to describe to somebody, what is Christianity about? Well, this has to be a candidate for one of the key passages. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, of course, there's other ways to summarize our faith, right? Uh, it is um, goodness, so morality. You know, maybe Christianity is about goodness and badness. And certainly that's part of it, righteousness and unrighteousness. Or you could say Christianity is about truth and falsehood. So not morality, but about truth and untruth. But I would argue this morning that foundationally our faith is about life and death. Now Jesus, of course, incorporates all three when he says, I am the way, 
right? Behavioral or morality or goodness. I am the truth, truth and falsehood. But he finally says, I am the way, the truth, all of those on the way to life. I am the life. Of course, Jesus, in an earlier passage we looked at, said, I have come to give you life. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He didn't say you were dead in your immorality, which... We were. He didn't say, though, you were dead in your wrongness, your falsehood, which we were. But what he chooses to say is, you were simply dead. You were dead, and Christ has come to give you life. He made you alive. Life and death is all over the place in this passage, right? In these 44 verses of John 11, first thing that happens, Jesus and the disciples receive news that Lazarus is ill, then Jesus says, well, it's an illness that does not lead to death. Then he says, okay, Lazarus did die. <laughs> then he says, well, let's go to Bethany. And they're like, uh, you're crazy because last time you went to Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem, last time you went in that area, you were almost stoned to death. And then, of course, he goes. Thomas says, well, what the heck, let's go with him. Let's all die. He goes to Martha who says, if you had been here, my mother, brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise. She says, well, I know in the last day. He says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus weeps when he sees other mourners weeping. People around Jesus are saying, you know, if he healed the blind man, why couldn't he have raised this guy from the dead? And then, of course, Jesus does it. He calls out Lazarus, rags and all. And you should also know that the people to which John is writing this account decades later were themselves in a period of discouragement and maybe death. As persecutions were taking place among Christians in the latter half of the first century, they will want to know from John, what do you mean that Jesus is the life? And why has he not come yet? Because if he had come, as Martha says, then this might not have happened. So John is particularly interested in telling these people in what ways Jesus is the life, because they too are in a period of waiting. What does this look, life look like for us? So I want to zoom in on this one encounter in, on page four in paragraph two of your program and to see how John encourages people who are wondering and waiting what the life of Jesus looks like. Now, I love stories, accounts, narratives. They're cool. They're cool because they're elastic. Uh, my thing is literature, so I kind of geek out on stuff like this. When I say narrative is elastic, what I mean is, if I were to ask you to tell me the story of your life, you might cover a whole year or two with a single sentence, and then you might spend 15 minutes telling me about a single day in an attempt to help me understand you. So narrative is elastic like that. It can, it can crunch or zoom out for whole periods of time. And then when something important occurs that the narrative wants us to see, it'll zoom in. And here in this paragraph, John really wants to zoom in in this encounter with Mary Sorry, with Martha and Jesus, 
Having covered six days and 16 verses, he spent 20 verses in just a couple of minutes here. And then the seven verses of paragraph two, covering maybe seven seconds in this encounter between Martha and Jesus. The first words out of Martha's mouth when she meets Jesus just outside where the mourners have gathered is this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you're a director filming this scene, you'd have to make some decisions. What is the tone here? What is her body language as she says this? Is this an accusation? Well, we're told twice in this passage that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it's clear that they knew that. So maybe it's not an accusation exactly. Maybe it's just confusion. Because Jesus, having heard the news, waited two days. And he arrives four days after Lazarus dies. So maybe she's just confused. Why were you not here? Maybe she accepts his timing in his wisdom and there's simply regret. If you had been here, he would not have died. She certainly knew of Jesus' other healings, of course. And she may have known of the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, although it's not recorded in John. But Mary is left looking back with that feeling of, you know, it could have been different. You know, the if-onlys, right? Do you ever get the if-onlys? I'm, I'm, my personality type, I am great at the if-onlys. I look at things that are now, and my personality type, I mean, I major on regret. I look back and think, gosh, if only I'd maybe studied this subject, or, or maybe if, if only I'd, you know, started things here. Or maybe it's not even fault. If only that person had warned me or told me. And I, and I kind of, I don't know if you do this, it's embarrassing if you don't, but you know, sometimes I'll have these fantasies of where I could be in my life right now, and I go back and I, and I do the if only and I fix it. And then I lie in bed in this new but entirely false version of my life. <laughs> and I look for life in the past. I'm looking for life in the past, and we almost see Martha doing this, Martha kind of going back and, if only, maybe, maybe life is found in the past. And of course, there is life in the past, or at least there's our memory of life in the past. There are many good things to look back on and be grateful for, and part of gratitude is to look back and see the things that God has done for us, see the gifts he's given us on our particular journey, to see how our particular life is still uh, filled with his presence and the hand of God. Frequently, when we go to memorial services, we look back and celebrate the life of the person. That's entirely appropriate and good. But you notice we're having to look back for life in the past. And this is what Martha is doing here. And of course, she shows tremendous faith in Jesus' power. If only you had been here, uh, he would be healed. I mean, this is real solid belief on Martha's part. But she's left with the reality now of her brother's death. She even seems to Understand now when Jesus points her to the future and he takes her from the past and now he says, in this very condensed conversation, you know, your brother will rise again. 
And so Jesus takes her from kind of this if only now into the future. And Martha says, well, yes, I do. I do. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And this, too, is real solid belief. You know, not all Jews believed in what is called the general resurrection at the time. The Sadducees were famous for their skepticism about the afterlife. But the general belief was that there would be this general resurrection on the last day in the future. And this would include Lazarus. Martha would get to see Lazarus again because he had only, as the scriptures often put it, fallen asleep. And so indeed, this is a legitimate place to find life in the future, in the promise of the generation, in the promise of eternal life, in the vision that his kingdom will come, his will will be done, and the saints will live with him forever. The new earth will be as it should be. And that death is really just, as was read, a twinkling of an eye, a moment. I mean, Jesus really doesn't talk about death as anything substantial. He goes so far as to say, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I mean, death is not really a thing experientially for the one who dies. It's just a moment. It's a moment. But nevertheless, Jesus, when he actually comes to the area where the mourners are, he weeps. It is from the mourner's perspective, from those seeking life, the loss of a loved one is powerful. Now, interpreters aren't entirely sure about how to understand this, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The interpreters who are the mourners around, look and say, ah, how he loved Lazarus. And there is surely that. We've already been told he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. But actually the word wept here has traces of anger as well as compassion. It, it actually could be literally translated as snorted. But it really wouldn't do to have the shortest verse in the Bible read as and Jesus snorted. <laughs> but what could he be angry at? Well, it could be he's angry at death. And death is the enemy, although there's an argument made that death is also our friend. But he may even be angry at the power that death has among these mourners. That yes, we grieve, but we grieve as those with hope. And so... It is true that life can sometimes be found in the past, and Martha goes there. It is true that life will be found in the future, and we should carry that with us every moment of our lives. And Martha goes there. But in the biblical text, I've skipped a verse. In verse 21, Martha says, if only. In verse 23, I know the last day is coming. But in verse 22, she says this. Even now, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even now. So having gone to the past to look for life, having gone to the future to look for life, Martha actually stays for a moment in the present. And she has this sense that something could happen now. What could she be thinking could happen now? What does she think Jesus might do? 
Did she have actually something in particular in mind, or is she just kind of casting about in her grief? There was a belief among the Jews that spirits kind of hung around the grave for three days before departing for good. Well, Jesus had waited four, seemingly to make sure that Lazarus was dead as a doornail, as the Christmas carol says. So what did Martha really think he could do in the present moment? I want to talk about the present moment for a second, for a moment. Time is a mysterious thing. It's a puzzle, right? And I'm not even going to go into it, if I could. But especially it's mysterious when it comes to the present. What is the present moment? Especially as related to the past and the future. Well, as you'd expect, the present moment is right now. Up, that moment just passed. It's slippery. If I wait a few seconds, the present moment has now moved into the past. It is like that fish you see that flashes to the surface and then dives down. The present moment is elusive. It's like a line of poetry or a short run of notes that fade away as the next run of notes come, as the next line of poetry is read. Indeed, the musical phrase among neuroscientists, interpersonal neurobiologists, social scientists, The musical phrase is the thing that is most often referred to as a kind of analogy for the present moment, that little run of notes that comes, echoes, and then is gone. That is the present moment. Or to take an example from another another of the arts, the present moment is what is on the stage of our consciousness right now, but then there's something else that comes on the stage. Philosophers and neuroscientists think that the present moment probably lasts about one to ten seconds, about as long as it took Martha and Jesus to have this conversation. And probably more commonly, the present moment is three to five seconds. Pretty much as long as it takes for me to say a sentence, for you to have a thought, and then to say something in response. In his book, The Present Moment in Everyday Life, Daniel Stern, an interpersonal neurobiologist, did you know there was such a thing? There are many many such folks. An interpersonal neurobiologist calls the present moment kairos, the Greek word For this moment that isn't exactly chronos, it's not exactly seconds, it's kind of an experience. Kairos is the moment when something is coming into being. As simply as someone's next words to us, as simply as driving by your car and seeing people on the side of the road. It's a moment, kind of a psychological unit of time when something is coming into our consciousness. Something's happening. Something's coming into being. He also described it as a moment of meeting. When you meet someone, something's coming into being for a moment. Now, the moment does have traces of the past, right? It has traces of the moment that just passed, or even the distant past. The present moment's like a comet, you know, where the head of the comet comes, but it comes with a tail. Or when we taste the next thing with the last thing tasted still on our tongue. So all of our present moments are kind of flavored by past moments. It may be a view of ourselves that we bring into every moment. It may be a sense of confidence or inadequacy that we bring into every moment. It could be previous experiences of acceptance or rejection that we bring into the present moment, support or neglect. But the present moment has this trace of the lens by which we see things that has come into the present moment. 
often when I'm meeting with students, that's kind of my job during the week. I often listen for words in their discussions like always or never. They say, this always happens to me. I never catch a break. I never catch a break. Or people never notice me. They are bringing the past into their present moment of experiences, and it's kind of over-determining the present moment. It's powerful. And so listening compassionately, of course, I sometimes suggest, really, can you never think of a moment when someone extended kindness to you? And they go, well, oh yeah, there was that moment. <laughs> okay, so it was, it's not never. But still, we all bring kind of the past into the present moment. And of course, Martha now comes into the present moment with Jesus, trailing clouds of death, regret, confusion, that is tinging the present moment with Jesus. And of course, the present moment also contains premonitions of the future. So even as Martha grieves, she says, yes, I know there'll be a resurrection on the last day. And again, for us, we might call this the eternal perspective. It's important that the eternal perspective tinge our moment, our experience of the present moment. That we aware that this moment is part of a much larger story of life, God creating life, of our rebirth, and the ultimate, what we call eternal life. That this whole story of life needs to tinge our present moment. Needs to be kind of a part of our, uh, of our nervous system. A, a kind of big picture view that tinges the present moment because the present moment has traces of the past and has traces of a future or whatever future we imagine. And of course, Christians in times like these or difficult times need to develop a capacity to imagine what is true, that there will be a shalom, a restoration of all things. And Martha really believes that, and that is good. But now Jesus brings her into the present. He says to Martha, you know, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And surely he's referring in part to the general resurrection that will happen, or even to Lazarus' resurrection in a few moments. But he says, I am. He's not referring to an event, but a person. I am the resurrection and the life. It is not something that's going to happen in Kronos. In time, it is something that's happening in Kairos, something coming into being potentially now. I, not will be the resurrection life, I am. Of course, this is part of Jesus' many statements in the Gospel of John about I am. I am the bread of life. Jews hearing that would have launched back 1,300 years and thought of the daily manna that was given in the wilderness. The present moment extended to the present day, God's provision for the present day. He says, I am the light. The light is something that shines now. A light can't shine in the future. It can only shine now in our experience. He says, I am the good shepherd, the present tense. We are very vulnerable every day, but he says, I am protection. I am freedom from fear. And Jesus is claiming right now in the present tense, as with those other things, I am the resurrection and the life 
For those among John's flock who, like Martha, are waiting for Jesus, this is what John wants them to see. This is why he's zooming in. He wants them to consider that Jesus might be the resurrection and the life in the present moment. And of course, Jesus will define eternal life, something that we may be tempted to think of in Kronos, the future eternal life. Jesus actually defines eternal life a few chapters later, which John will write by saying, here's what eternal life is, to know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is not an event in Kronos, it is a moment of meeting. A moment of meeting. Eternal life is knowing someone. And John's going to say a few chapters later, that you and I are actually in a better position in Martha than Martha to meet Jesus. Why is that so? Because Jesus, quoted by John, will say in the Upper Room Discourse, it is to your advantage, speaking to the disciples, that I go away, because they're freaked out. He's talking about the end of the world, or we're talking about death, or he's talking about something that sounds scary, something where he's not going to be around. And he picks up on that vibe, and he says to them, I have said these things to you, and I see that sorrow, death, has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go, then the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. We are at an advantage over the people who met Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to minister the presence of Jesus, is with us wherever we go. Jesus is never late because he's always here. So how is it that we encounter Jesus as life in the present moment? So many ways. It's hard to list, but a few. We can encounter Jesus as life-giving wisdom at the moment. Dallas Willard has said Jesus was the smartest person who ever lived. Dallas would know he's a smart person. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Not a bad question. We can encounter him as life-giving forgiveness. Every time we stray or sin or do something stupid, we get to return to the forgiveness of Jesus, which is right now a deepening of the gospel in the present moment. We get to encounter Jesus' life-giving compassion because he is a priest who knows our pain. We can encounter him as hope. Hope is something you can experience in the present, although it may unfold in the future. And we can encounter him as presence, as presence. You ever been asked that question, who is life-giving for you? You know? Well, guess what? Jesus is life-giving. His presence is life-giving. There's really no limit to the ways that Jesus can show up for us in the present moment because we are so different and have so many different needs and circumstances. And the Spirit miraculously is present to all of us. But the question Jesus asked Mary at the end of their little 10-second conversation is, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? I don't think, again, this is an accusation. I think Martha really does believe it. (laughs) Belief in Jesus' life with us in the present moment, the knowledge of this is something we gain experimentally. Since knowledge in the Scriptures is relational knowledge, it can only be gained relationally. So the invitation for us today is to experiment 
with Jesus in the present moment, the present day, as the resurrection and the life. An 18th century theologian, spiritual writer named Jean-Pierre de Cassade wrote a book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. A sacrament, like the Eucharist, is a, a means by which the Holy Spirit particularly meets us. Jean-Pierre de Cassade argues that the present moment is a sacrament, a moment in which the Holy Spirit can particularly meet us. He writes, what, what instructs us is what happens to us from moment to moment. That is what forms us in the experimental knowledge of Jesus Christ. This week I heard a man speak who was tortured for his faith in Christ in Iran. And as torturer was slamming his knee with a stone, he went from, of course, hating the present moment to feeling the presence of Christ amid the pain in the present moment. I've had cancer survivors come to me and say, they don't want to have cancer again. But man, that experience of Jesus in the present moment, they want that to continue. I have not experienced either of those things yet, but I do know that in a moment, in moments of my life, I often turn to Jesus and his presence when I'm struggling to find life. So my encouragement to you today is to practice the presence of God. Of course, to reference another spiritual classic. To find Jesus in the present moment to experiment with ways of turning to him, living in his presence, walking with him, lamenting to him, seeking wisdom from him, or simply letting his presence be present to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you said that, or Jesus, you said that you were glad that the disciples would have this experience in Bethany because you would show them the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Well, Lord, we know it's just, well, it's just that you are amazing. So, Lord, may we today, even now, in the moments that follow, open to your glory, which is, say, your goodness, your truth, your wisdom, and your life. So just for a moment, Realize that Jesus is present. The Holy Spirit is in the room. He ministers the presence of Jesus to you. And for a moment, enjoy that.